0: Hi, this is Coach Jeff Wright, and in my podcast, Commercial Real Estate for Residential Realtors, we will take a deep dive with industry experts into different aspects of commercial real estate. My ultimate goal is to give you the knowledge, confidence, and belief that you can transact commercial real estate at a high level, just like you do with residential real estate.
1: Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate for Residential Realtors podcast and our special Ask Coach Jeff Wright series. I'm Jeffrey Wright, and in this episode, we'll be talking about how the heart of the deal is the strength of the lease. Coach Jeff, welcome to your show.
0: Thanks, Jeff. (laughs) Great to be here.
1: Glad to have you. So we're going to jump right in, (laughs) shall we? We know that the biggest difference between commercial real estate and residential real estate is in how Properties are valued to that end, I've heard you talk about this phrase The heart of the deal is the strength of the lease. Can you explain that? For us and and let us know how it applies to the purchase and sale of a commercial property.
0: Sure. Sure. So First, let's just think about what a lease is so a lease is that legal document between a seller and Seller landlord and a tenant so it's outlining everything that is involved in their relationship going forward. It's going to talk about what is the income from that lease, meaning what are the rents, what are the costs that are there. It's going to talk about expenses, who's responsible for what in that given property. It's going to talk about how long the lease is for, so what is the stability, or not necessarily stability, but what, how long can they expect to receive revenue. And it just will cover every aspect of what's there. So when I say it's the heart of the deal, that literally, commercial real estate is valued based on investment real estate in particular, based on the income and expenses of the property. So, depending what the income and expenses are in that lease, and the strength of that lease really is why I say it's the heart of the deal.
1: Great. And so when we're Talking about strength, we we mentioned length, terms, what are some of those terms that people are going to look at that indicate uh, indicate a particular lease is perhaps stronger than any other?
0: Let's start ahead of the term. Let's say, who is the tenant? Who is that tenant? because a tenant that has greater financial strength and will give extremes, so there could be anyone listening that could have great individual financial strength, but that financial strength for most of us will be very different than a national corporate tenant financial strength. So if that lease is with a national financially strong tenant, like call it a Starbucks, call it a Walmart, call it a McDonald's, that financial strength is very different than a doctor's practice or that somebody that owns their own local business. So that, that's number one, just to understand. Now, when you say terms, the first thing that I think about when I say that is what is the length of that lease itself? is the lease, like in residential world, most of our leases are one year. In the commercial world, it could be a year, could be three years, could be five, could be 10, could be 20. The strength of the tenant, the length of the term, the term of that lease really starts to indicate what is that value overall of that lease, what is what is that overall worth? And then there's other factors in that lease that also create more value and give us again, the, the heart of, of the valuation, if you will.
1: And when we're looking at length of lease, are we also taking into consideration the possibility of an exit clause? so to speak, for, for that tenant after certain periods of time?
0: So there is in the industry with commercial, which is you don't see it nearly as much in the residential world. There is, and is, I'm just going to call it, instead of saying exit, which is, is totally exit, I'm going to say a cancellation clause. There are times that somebody will put in the right to be able to cancel a lease at a certain period, as an example. I personally had a lease at one time with a national bank, right, where our company headquarters was. They signed a 10-year lease, but they had, after three years, they could cancel that lease with notice and with other provisions. So there is cancellation clauses. And when we again talk about the strength of the deal is, is the strength of the lease, That's evaluating what's in the lease, because if somebody can cancel after three years or five years versus not having that right to do it, and they're obligated legally to stay forward, then it's a a different look at what the risk is, because risk is a big part of all of this.
1: As we're looking, you mentioned a couple moments ago, just that strength of the tenant themselves, for example, a a Starbucks or a McDonald's or a Walmart is going to have a a big bearing on how strong something is, a a lot of our listeners may not be dealing with that level of tenant and that property type. So as we're looking at, say, a a strip mall or, or even a small medical building or any of those other kind of smaller mixed use type of, of things, how are we really gauging whether or not that tenant that's currently in place is strong? Is there a way, like, obviously with, with those national chains, there are, are ways you can figure out as to how healthy they are financially.
0: Yeah, so first and foremost, they are will never be looked at as strong the local mom and pops or the local medical practice won't be looked at as valued uh, for a lease and valued not only in the value for the lease, but ultimately what the value of the property would be because of what the tenant is. So when you're looking at local, you're looking at that small strip retail, what they're going to do is they're going to want to look at what is the history of that tenant is the tenant new is the tenant been there for a year has the tenant paid for five years seven years so they'll look and assess the tenants they have there and part of what will happen on those smaller mom and pops they'll typically be smaller lease terms too so they'll be three years and maybe they'll be a five years but it's a different value overall Because, and if we just go back to the the lease is the heart, the heart of it, the lease is who the tenant is. And so here, if the tenants are local community mom and pops, even if they pay their rent every month forever, never miss a payment, their value overall, value ultimately what that property is, is not gonna be as great as if it was a national tenant or if it was a regional, a, you know, hospital, or if it was big medical practice that's been around, or if it was a you know, manufacturing industrial concern, somebody that's been around. They don't have to all be national tenants, but the level of financial strength is really what a lender will look at, an investor will look at in terms of what the risk is. Will that tenant be there, will that tenant make the payment? What is the chance of the tenant staying in business through whatever situation we might have?
1: So as an agent who's working with either a buyer or a seller of a commercial property, are you looking at those leases differently if you're representing a buyer than you are a seller or is it really the same thing that you're looking for and seeing?
0: well so i th- it is different so if i'm representing a seller what a seller's focused on is getting maximum dollars from the tenant passing off as many of the expenses as they can onto the tenant getting as long of the lease as they can from the tenant so what the buyer is doing is you know typically They wouldn't want to pay as much as a landlord would be, no surprise there. And typically they would want to minimize the expenses they're responsible for. Ultimately, in order for it to be a good deal across the board, that lease is going to lay out who's responsible for what. It's going to be negotiated and people are going to, you know, make judgments about what, if they're going to go forward in that deal. So, when I'm representing the seller, landlord, or I'm representing the buyer, tenant, either way, there is different things that we're looking looking at overall because they have different focuses.
1: Okay. Um, you had just mentioned that a seller or landlord, when, when dealing with a, a tenant is trying to push off or, or hand off as many of the expenses as they can to that tenant. Um, What are some of those expenses? What would we usually look to see as as an expense that's handled by the tenant versus one that's handled by the landlord?
0: Yeah, so let's just first say, just for everybody just to have clarity, is that there's really two types of leases that we're gonna run across. We're gonna run across something that's called a net lease and we're gonna we're going to run across something that's called a gross lease. The net lease means they're passing off expenses to the tenant. And there's a single net, there's a double net and a triple net. So if you think in terms of, an acronym TIM, so first letter is if somebody says it's a single net that they're asking the tenant to pay, they're paying the taxes for the landlord's taxes, the building owner's taxes, that tenant is paying based on their proportionate share of what that building. So if they had 10%, they're paying 10% of the taxes, 50%, 50%. So again, going back to Tim. So that's our single net. Our double net is taxes and I, from Tim, insurance. So if somebody says it's If the type of lease it is, it's $19 is the base rent. Plus you're going to pay taxes insurance. They're paying a double net. Most often we hear triple net and the triple net going back to Tim taxes insurance. Now the M is common area maintenance and it's really the expenses involved in running that property that, and again, so that landlord, if they had a triple net lease, would mean that all the expenses, separate from debt service, separate from their mortgage payment, all of those expenses get passed on to the tenant, and that's the triple net lease. From an attractive standpoint, in terms of a lease that's triple net, is more attractive and more valuable overall, than a gross lease in almost all cases. The gross lease is those expenses we talked about are incorporated. So if I said to you the lease is 19 triple net, or if I say to you it's 19 gross, that means the triple net has some other number. So sometimes a triple net could be $8 a foot. So that tenant's paying 19 plus $8 a foot So they're really paying $27 a foot where if we said it was 19 triple net and 19 gross, the 19 gross that tenants only paying $19. So, so someone needs to understand because it ultimately in that lease, it's going to be triple net, single net, double net, or it's going to be gross. And all of that structure all goes towards what are the income and expenses that allow for a value to be determined. So again, the lease is the heart of the deal.
1: And do you find in in buildings that have more than one tenant that you'll find both types of lease, both types of leases, a gross lease for one tenant versus a a net lease of some sort for another tenant, or is that not so common?
0: So I would tell our audience, like again, you made reference to this, A lot of what our audience is going to be doing is the residential realtors that are helping their clients because they're that trusted advisor for them. So some of those properties they're going to be helping them with are smaller as a comparative note. And if they're smaller based on what the location is, the market, the demographics, those Typically, those owners of those properties are more interested in getting tenancy and not being locked in that has has to be triple net or gross. So you could see a mixture. Typically, it's either a triple net or a gross building. But again, if depending on the market will dictate that. When you go to cities and you see these bigger office buildings or bigger apartment buildings, very rarely will you see them ever not just all be triple net or all gross and following the exact same pattern for the entire building.
1: Okay, now uh, something I didn't hear you talk about with either the gross lease or a net lease is utilities. Utilities are not a part of taxes, insurance, or maintenance from the triple net. So is is a tenant in a triple net lease then responsible for their utilities or even in a gross lease where everything's there, how do utilities play into
0: yeah. So the way I would just think about the triple net just in general is that they want the tenant to be paying for everything. So a building could be a building that has only one electrical system. So there's one meter and that landlord is sending out their electrical based on their proportionate share. but. The real focus and real understanding, there's two of them, is that if we're out and we're representing tenants now, we need to just ask the question you asked, what are the total costs involved? Um, but if, it's, if the total costs are such that that we have buildings that are built with one heating system or one electric, Many times, especially in the gross lease, many times those utilities are going to be included also, but you've got to ask and there's no set, set pattern.
1: Good to know. If we're going back to the idea that, that we're representing a seller, it's looking to sell their commercial property and we've got these leases, we have a six, seven, eight unit building, but we're not fully occupied we only have six of our, our units are are leased right now and there's two vacancies still trying to sell. What are we looking at doing? Is there anything we're looking at doing to perhaps make that more attractive to a buyer? Because if I'm a buyer and I'm seeing it's not fully leased, I'm thinking that's of less value because I still have to do the, the, the work to get new tenants into that building.
0: So you not only have to do the new work, but you know, real estate is going to be valued, not on future projections, unless it's a new construction building. But if there's a building that you said that's eight units and six of them are occupied or leased, the value of the building is going to be based on what the income and expense are, the property. So if there's six units, we're missing two units of income. We probably have all the expenses still in play. So In that scenario in my mind it really behooves a landlord to think about what they can do overall some landlords won't do this i've done some transactions where i've been able to get a landlord to master lease a space or two spaces at a reduced market rate reduced market rate to give the person purchasing incentive to want to get those released but if there's a discrepancy about what someone's willing to pay and that seller landlord wants to get more dollars the only way they're going to get more dollars is if there's more income in the property so i have shown landlords owners of properties where if you did master lease something yourself again, below market, it will allow, because of the additional income, to get a higher value. Some people have zero interest in doing that, and some people fully understand the only way they're gonna be able to get the property appraised at the value that they want, is if they do that, and their hope is they're doing it very short term, because that buyer who's just bought it, wants market rents, not the master leased lower, lower value.
1: That makes sense. Um, as we've talked a lot, you've mentioned a lot, you know, the, the value really being based on income and expenses and it, it occurred to me is the only type of income we're looking at on on a commercial property, really the, the rents that you're getting, or is there, are there other things that, that so, make that number higher?
0: Yeah. So in the broad category of rents they're getting, I, I think that, The way to look at it is what is the total income being generated from that building? Because if you're talking about total income, then there's going to be some buildings that, you know, I've got an adjacent neighbor where I'm located in Connecticut, that's a very large building, and they have some covered parking places that they rent out. People pay them monthly for the covered parking. They also have some storage that people pay to get additional storage. So it's really about what is the total income that gets generated by that space overall is what we're talking about for the income and expense. I also want to just be really, really clear. You know, the value is part of the formula is the income and expense. The other part of it is just what is what we call a cap rate, the other part, because depending on who the tenant is, depending what the lease is, really will ultimately ultimately determine the value, because value in commercial real estate is net operating income. We talk about it during the valuation segment, so that net operating income is income minus expenses, but it's divided by a cap rate. And that cap rate is, again, depending on risk, who the tenant is, their financial strength, how long the leases are for, will ultimately determine cap rate, also location and what's going on in that individual market. There's several factors, but when we talk about the lease being the heart of the deal, a lease with longer longer lease period, longer tenancy period, and a stronger tenant, meaning even if we're dealing with, we talk local in our community, if we had a medical group that's been in business for a very long time, they are of more value than mom-and-pop deli and nail salon and dry cleaners overall. So when we're looking at it, it really is who the tenant is, and how long that lease is and what they're paying, income and expense, that ultimately determines what the value is. Okay.
1: And how is someone to look at a new construction property? Obviously, commercial properties get built all the time, but there's not necessarily anything in place right now to give us a value or to give us we don't have leases we don't have, so how are we looking at that type of Scenario,
0: Yeah. so we don't have leases but two things I'd say Is that we could have a lease so we could have somebody that signs you know to go to a space that that landlords going to build a building for them so we could have a lease with somebody. Again, somebody could ask for a building to be built for them. We could, Um, but if we had an apartment kind of deal that somebody was building, they're not going to have, it may cost, it may take 12 to 18 months to build that building, so they're not going to have their leases in place for somebody for a year out. So depending on the type of product, property type it is, Um, If it's just purely this apartment that's being built, apartment building, the appraiser is going to do what market rents are. They're going to look at the market and say, this is what we're projecting. So we don't have the income and expense in place like we talked about the other, but they're going to look at their appraisals, really going to be looking at what can those properties lease for based on the market comps that are there.
1: Great. Okay. So I think we're, we're going to look to wrap up this, this topic here, but just in summary, when we're looking at the heart of the deal, being the strength of the lease, we have a couple of factors we're looking at. Um, at least from what I've learned today, we're, we're looking at the property type. We're looking at the strength of the tenant itself. We're looking at the lengths of the leases, and and looking at income and expenses to really determine if if a property should be valued higher or lower. Am I, am I missing anything major in that in that summary? From what
0: we no, were? no, it's a great summary. But I would I would say one thing we didn't even touch on to say with there is that some of these leases will have escalations. So when you look at You know, when somebody is valuing leases and valuing what's there, they're also going to look at, will there be increased income built into the deal? An investor is going to look at that for future returns, and a lender is going to look at that overall. So they're going to look at, I would say, like they look at the whole picture. They look at everything from the condition of the property, to what the leases are, to who the tenant is, to what their financial strength is, what risk is associated with it. Like there's more risk with a one tenant building than there is with a six tenant building because if that one tenant goes, then then versus one tenant and a six, it's very different. So they're going to look at risk is a huge part of it, income and expense, quality of the tenant, length of the lease are the big things that they're going to look at.
1: All right, so before we wrap it up, anything else to say on the heart of the deal is the strength of the lease?
0: I would just say that sometimes when deals don't work out as well, it's because that buyer hasn't done their proper due diligence and hasn't taken the time to make sure they read every lease for whatever property they're buying because those lease leases are what are going to govern not only the heart of the deal but the legal exposure so my strong recommendation as part of a due diligence for anybody buying a property that has leases is to make sure that they get the leases as part of the due diligence they review it totally so there are no surprises with cancellation clauses or who's responsible for what or even future free rent that somebody might have said, I'll give you a free month, year two, year three, year four, you don't know any of that unless you read each and every lease.
1: Great. Thank you everybody for listening to this Ask Coach Jeff Wright episode of the Commercial Real Estate for Residential Realtors podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, here's to your success.
0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Commercial Real Estate for Residential Realtors. As a reminder, please subscribe to this podcast to receive new episodes as soon as they are released. For more information on me, my team, and my educational programs, visit my website at www.coachjeffwright.com. Thank you for listening, and here's to your success.